La lectura de hoy viene del libro de Gálatas, capítulo 5, versículos 1 al 15. Cristo nos libertó para que vivamos en libertad. Por tanto, manténganse firmes y no se sometan nuevamente al yugo de esclavitud. Escuchen bien. Yo, Pablo, les digo que si se hacen circuncidar, Cristo no les servirá de nada. De nuevo declaro que todo el que se hace circuncidar está obligado a practicar toda la ley. Aquellos de entre ustedes que tratan de ser justificados por la ley han roto con Cristo, han caído de la gracia. Nosotros, en cambio, por obra del Espíritu y mediante la fe, aguardamos con ansias la justicia que es nuestra esperanza. En Cristo Jesús de nada vale estar o no estar circuncidado. Lo que vale es la fe que actúa mediante el amor. Ustedes estaban corriendo bien. ¿Quién los estorbó para que dejaran de obedecer la verdad? Tal instigación no puede venir de Dios, que es quien los ha llamado. Un poco de levadura fermenta toda la masa. Yo por mi parte confío en el Señor, que ustedes no pensarán de otra manera. El que los está perturbando será castigado, sea quien sea. Hemos, si es verdad que yo todavía predico la circuncisión, ¿por qué se me sigue persiguiendo? Si tal fuera mi predicación, mi predicación la cruz no ofendería tanto. Ojalá que esos instigadores acabaran por mutilarse del todo. Les hablo así, hermanos, porque ustedes han sido llamados a ser libres. Pero no se valgan de esa libertad para dar rienda suelta a sus pasiones. Más bien, sírvanse unos a los otros con amor. En efecto, toda la ley se resume en un solo mandamiento. Ama a tu prójimo como a ti mismo. Pero si siguen mordiéndose y devorándose, tengan cuidado, no sea que acaben por destruirse unos a otros. Thank you. Leila and Daniel, it's good to have you read God's Word, and let's pray that it becomes um, effective in our lives. Let's pray together. God, we're asking for your help uh, because we want these words that we heard and that we're looking at not to simply be um, dead words, but words that really change us because they're words that come from you. Uh, words that speak good news, words that set us free. And so we pray that you would give us your spirit now and give us help to hear and respond and change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone know what special holiday our city will be observing next week? Does anyone know? Emancipation Day. April 16 is Emancipation Day in the District of Columbia. Nearly nine months before the Emancipation Proclamation granted freedom to enslaved persons nationally on April 16, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed the D.C. Compensated Emancipation Act. It was the law that ended slavery here in our city. 3,100 district residents 
woke up that morning as slaves and went to bed that night free. It was a historic day, a historic day of social and political emancipation. The Apostle Paul here tells us about another historic day of spiritual emancipation for spiritual slaves. That is the day that Jesus died. He suffered, Paul tells us in effect, he suffered what our sins deserve. He died to set us free. He died to set us free. And so he says in verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You see, the cross of Christ was God's great emancipation act, signed not with the ink of a pen, but with the blood of his son. Freedom. This is what the book of Galatians is telling us is at the heart of the Christian gospel, the heart of the Christian faith, the heart of the Christian life, which might be a little bit of a surprise to you, oh dear Christian. Does freedom mark your experience of God through Jesus? Is that a fair characterization of what you experience when you're up in the morning and throughout the day and when you go to sleep at night in your relationship with God? Or you, dear friend, who is looking into the Christian faith, does it surprise you to hear that this is purportedly what is at the heart of the Christian faith? Is Is it what you see around you? Is it what you've heard? That this offer of faith This offer of God's Son, Jesus, is an offer of freedom. If it's not what you've seen and if it's not what you've heard, perhaps it's time for the church to apologize or at least to simply explain better. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And yet the Apostle Paul here is writing this letter because freedom so easily can be blocked, we know, and so easily can be lost. You see, false teachers had come into this church that Paul had started several years prior. He had preached this good news of spiritual freedom given through Jesus, and yet now here were teachers that were teaching something different. You see him refer and allude to these teachers in verse 7 when he says, Look, Galatian Christians, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who interrupted your good race of faith? Or in the middle of verse 10, Paul refers to one who is throwing you into confusion. In verse 12, he refers to them as agitators, troublemakers. What kind of confusion, what kind of trouble were they causing? Well, it was this. They were teaching that in order to get right with God, what you needed to do was perform the Jewish rite of circumcision. Perform good, dutiful adherence to God's moral law. 
Perform whatever other standards you set up for yourself. Things that you feel like you need to do to be right with God, to make yourself acceptable to God, to make yourself approved of God. The ways in which we put before ourselves all these other requirements that we cannot possibly reach And yet we strive and strive and strive and fall short. The Apostle Paul taught and said and proclaimed that the way to get right with God was to embrace with all your heart Jesus and Jesus alone who lived in our place and died in our place to make us right with God. And all you need to do is throw your arms wide open and say, thank you, you're exactly what I needed, exactly who I needed, and that is it. And here were these false teachers that said, no, that's good. That's a good place to start. But let me take you to spiritual graduate school. Take Jesus and then work a little bit harder to make sure you're right with God. That's what this talk about circumcision throughout the passage is all about. All these rituals and rites and regulations and rules and ways in which we find ourselves performing our way into God's favor. It doesn't work. Paul says there's another way, a way of freedom. A way of freedom. Freedom from guilt and condemnation. Because Jesus stood in your place and took the punishment for all your failures to be the good person that you're trying to be, but quietly know you are not being. Jesus, who stood in our place before the justice of God and satisfied justice, not only by dying in our place, but also by living in our place and doing everything right that we were supposed to do but could not do, so that if all we would do is simply say, He's my man to stand in my place before God, everything right and good and beautiful and true and loving that Jesus ever did can now count as your personal record before God. Free from guilt, free from condemnation, because you know you're forgiven, you know that you're free. Freedom from shame. You know, that deep feeling that you can also often carry around with you. That feeling that you're dirty or blemished or just not measuring up, unworthy. Jesus cleanses you and brings you to the Father spotless and unblemished. Freedom from having to struggle and strive on a daily basis to justify your existence to prove your worth, to earn your approvability and acceptance before God. Verse 5 talks about eagerly awaiting by faith the righteousness for which we hope, which is another way of saying God's verdict that will one day come on the day of judgment is secure in Jesus. You can know it now. That you will stand before God and you can know now that your verdict is going to be not guilty, no better. It's going to be righteous, perfect, because Jesus stands in your place. 
freedom from fear. Fear of the judgments of God, the judgments of other people. Fear of a future that you can't control because now you know you have a heavenly father who loves you and who's going to provide for all you need. So you don't need to be a neurotic self provider in all areas of your life, manipulating circumstances and people using God himself because you're so afraid of losing control of the future. Freedom from the futility of trying to save yourself. Freedom from beating yourself up when you don't measure up. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Dear friends, if you're in Jesus today, you need to today say it in your heart or say it out loud. I am free. I am free. Of course, the Apostle Paul knows that even this notion of freedom, however, can so easily be misunderstood, misconstrued. There are tons of ways that we can misunderstand this idea of spiritual freedom. See, I think most of us think that freedom means doing whatever I want and never having to give up what I want. It's sort of the quiet lust and dream that we all have within us. That freedom is just being left alone, having no obligations, not having to care about anyone, not having to give up anything that I'm being asked to give. And that, dear friends, is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he tells us that, dear friends, is not true freedom at all. Verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he just nails us here, doesn't he? We talk about wanting to be free, and really what we mean is I just want to be free to do whatever I want. What Paul calls here, indulging the flesh. The flesh, of course, doesn't refer to our physical bodies, but rather our fallen human nature, in the way Paul uses this word, our our twisted self-centeredness that gives rise to our sin. Paul says, look, God has set you free But that doesn't mean that you can just go and live your life and flip God off and kind of tell him, I don't thanks, but I don't really care how I live. Because your freedom should make you fall in love with God more and more each day. And if you love God, then shouldn't you want to be like God? And if you love God, just like we love anyone else in the world, Don't you start to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. So the freedom that we have in the grace of God then should make us strive to want to be more like Jesus. More patient like him, more loving like him, more caring like him, more humble like him, more generous like him, more concerned with justice like him more zealous to see ourselves become like the radiant glory of God. Rather, Paul says, 
serve one another humbly in love. Teacher and author John Stott puts it well, I think, when he says, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. It is an unrestricted liberty of approach to God as his children, not an unrestricted liberty to wallow in our own selfishness. How much, I mean, examine your heart, my heart, how much our longing for freedom is really motivated by a deeply self-centered heart. I want to live an obligation-free life. I want to care about no one but me. I want no one to tell me what to do but numero uno, me. The Apostle Paul is telling us that true freedom, true freedom is love. And to truly be free is to give ourselves spending our freedom on one another because we have been liberated to love. Liberated to love. Why? Because when your life is just controlled by fear, all you're thinking about is yourself. Whether if it's fear of God because I think His hammer is going to come down on me, everything I do is done just to appease God and to get out of jail. Or fear of other people and their disapproval of me. Where everything I do is simply to get them to like me more, but not really to serve them for their own good. Fear makes me more self-centered. And so when God deals with our fear... In the gospel, are we not liberated to love? Or when you're overwhelmed by guilt and everything in life is done simply to atone yourself of your guilt. I've screwed up in this area of my life, but if I could just step it up over here and do better, then maybe that'll outweigh the flaws in my life. Which is why a lot of us try to be nice to our spouses or our roommates after a bad day or a bad screw up. Or maybe why some of us can find ourselves zealously pursuing the needy around us, quote unquote. Serving and trying to get involved and engaged in this social issue in this area of the world and its needs. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But isn't it true when it's only done out of guilt, you're doing it for yourself. And when God then deals with our guilt in the gospel through Jesus, does it not liberate us to love? And when all you do is perform and perform to justify your existence, is not the only thing and the only person you really care about simply you. And here Paul says this radical thing in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Through love. Through love. 
Can we talk about love? First, think about the significance of love that Paul gives it here. He tells us basically that a growing gospel faith should actually produce in us a growing interest in people. That faith and growing in all these things that we've been talking about in our study of the book of Galatians. That you have been counted righteous in the sight of God if you have embraced Jesus in faith. That yes, you're a sinner. And yes, you build up a record of righteousness that you're trying to offer to God. Stop doing that. Turn from it. Repent of it. Because Jesus gives you His perfect record. Hallelujah. And that God has adopted you into His family. We all live neurotic lives, fatherless, spiritually fatherless lives where we feel the need like an orphan to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and make our way for ourselves. And all of that gets quieted down when we have the security of knowing we have a heavenly Father. And as we talked about all the idols of our Hearts, the way we bow our lives and our hearts to these things which are temporal things and good gifts like our work or our relationships or possessions that we have, which are meant to bless us, but we start to treat them like a God. Save me, O work. Make me important. Save me, romantic relationship. Make me feel loved. Save me, O child. Make me feel acceptable. Save me, save me, save me. And here's the thing that Paul is telling us. The goal of all those things is not simply more introspection. It's love. It's not simply knowing more of yourself and it's not simply self-centered obsessing over how is my walk with God? How is my walk with God? Do you understand, dear friends? Genuine faith in Jesus and a growing embrace of Him ought to turn you not just inward, but outward. A growing gospel faith should produce a growing interest in other people. I'm wording it that way because it's just, I think, more shocking to me just this idea that I'm supposed to notice people more if I'm growing in the grace of God. I'm supposed to actually take more interest in people. I'm supposed to notice their pains and wounds. I'm supposed to actually be more hungry and curious to hear more of their story. That, that when they share a little bit of themselves, there should be something in my heart, which is the heart of Jesus now, that says, I, I want to hear more. I want to know more. Can you share with me a little bit more? Because I want to love what more there is to love. Or when you hear about a person's needs that you begin to think creatively about how to meet those needs. You see, sin starts with having a mind full of myself. Love starts with having a mind full of someone else. And this is what the freedom of grace starts to do in us. As one author has put it, if the gospel is renewing you internally, it will also be propelling you externally moving us out in love and service of others. Another 
point of implication here. That the measure of maturity then is love. That if you're growing in faith and maturity of faith and growing in the gospel and more of your life is being overtaken by the gospel, what should be the greatest sign of that? You're starting to hover above the surface of the world? No. That you're able simply to spew profound theology that dazzles people's minds? No. The true measure of spiritual maturity, Paul tells us, is not cold, legalistic morality, is not simply how many quiet times or how many hours a day you've spent with God a week. Not a bad thing, but understand here. Or how much of the Bible you've read or how much theology you've studied or how well you've analyzed your own soul. The measure of maturity is love. And we don't believe this. (laughs) We don't. Because we really think the measure of our maturity is everything else. A quiz that I can pass doctrinally. Or cold morality because I'm doing good things but with no reference to people. I mean, another way of putting it is this, raising this question. As you grow in grace, as you grow in all that we've been talking about here, the love of God and Christ, and it's starting to change your life. And I know some of you have given the recent testimony that it has been in the past couple months. Praise God. But the question is this, do your roommates, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your next door neighbors see you in the end becoming a more loving person, a more patient person, a less defensive person, a better listener, a better weeper, a less self-regarding servant, more generous with their possessions, more generous with their time, more giving of themselves, of their gifts, Is this what you're beginning to see? Praise God, I know it is. I don't raise the question simply to say, no, it's not. By the grace of God, I know it is. Because this is what Jesus is up to in your life if you've embraced him. But there's an indicator here that is just something we cannot miss. And it's simply this. That Paul points us not only to the significance of love, but also to what we might call the slavery of love. Hold on now. See, when Paul tells us about love being the greatest fruit of our freedom and of our faith, he's not just talking about a feel-good, sentimental, kind of nice thing, like you're just supposed to become a nicer person. He says in verse 13, you know, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly. You know, in the original language here, humbly isn't there. It's actually a word that is trying, they're trying to, the translators are trying to figure out how to communicate what actually can be most literally translated, be a slave. 
to one another in love. Three times Paul in the book of Galatians in chapter 4 uses this same word, but in a negative way. We talked about it, describing spiritual slavery and bondage that comes from idolatry and from neurotically trying to perform our way into God's favor. Paul is spinning that on its head and he's saying, you know what? To love in some ways, in the best way, means to give your freedom for the good of another person. Mm, What does that mean? John Stott, again, is helpful here. Christian liberty, he says, is service, not selfishness. It's a remarkable paradox, for from one point of view, Christian freedom is a form of slavery, not slavery to our flesh, but to our neighbor. We are free in relation to God, but slaves in relation to each other. This is the meaning of love. If we love one another, we shall serve one another. We shall be slaves of one another. What does that look like at home? Or with local neighbors. Or at work. I was just sort of working through this in, in my own life in the past week. Thinking about how I relate to Paula. How I relate to, relate to Elena. How I relate to people on our block. How I relate to neighbors. How I relate to you. I wonder if it means to offer yourself as a slave in love. To not always obsess over what's my right and what's fair. That I'm willing to resist guarding my right to a convenient life or to comfort or to having my own space. That sort of living with a sense of entitlement all the time that blocks true compassion and care. I wonder if it means loving, but knowing and assuming that it'll hurt sometimes to love. So I'm not always working so hard to love in a way that doesn't cost me. Assuming, assuming that it'll cost space, convenience, time, sometimes money, my possessions, even my own heart. Sometimes allowing myself to be vulnerable with a person and even allowing myself to be hurt. You know, to be in a real relationship means to allow yourself to be hurt from time to time. I think it means being a servant on call. To be in a relationship where I'm able to say to my wife, just... What can I do? How can I serve? Is there anything more? Right? I mean, my natural disposition is to try to, you know, shave off a few things, right? Keep the list short. Get away with as little as I can. You can ask her. It's me, right? But to be a slave, to be a servant, goes the opposite direction. And it says here, fill it up. 
fill it up. How can I love more? Because I've been so well loved by my servant, Jesus. I think it means not seeking gratitude or recognition. Right? Letting go of honor. Again, that I feel so entitled to. Being a servant or slave by doing things behind the scenes and not grumbling about it when no one notices. I mean, no one gives me the esteem that I think I deserve or the gratitude I think I deserve. It means putting another person's needs before my own. Letting someone else shine. Even get credit for things I've done, which I am terrible at. So I want credit. And yet, my goodness, the whole story of the gospel is Jesus, Jesus giving us credit for what we have not done. My whole life of being counted as righteous in God's sight because of Jesus is undeserved credit. If that changes my life, it's the true story of my life, then maybe it should also give me grace to let someone else shine sometimes for the work that I've done. Maybe it's big heroic sacrifices. Maybe it's quiet, mundane sacrifices. Please understand, the whole of Scripture gives us a lot of wisdom in what this looks like. No, this is not simply a call to unhealthy codependency in our relationships. No, it is not an invitation to allow yourselves to get abused in bad relationships. But I don't want to start by limiting things that way or qualifying this call because Paul is calling us to something absolutely radical. The language that he's using here is pushing and pushing us to a place that we normally don't want to go in our lives and in our relationships. Go there. Go where Jesus already has gone for you. Jesus, who gave up all power and privilege, the eternal Son of God, the author of life himself, letting himself get killed. Jesus, who didn't exercise his right, his entitlement to be honored, who didn't seek recognition, who didn't put his own needs before our own, but put our needs and interests before his own, dying the death that we should have died, living the life that we should have lived. He made himself a slave of all, and he did it to set you free. When he wanted to give his disciples a, 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 a visual, a picture of all that he was about to do in love on the cross, he disrobed himself, he stooped low, got a wash basin, and started cleansing the dirt and feces caked feet of his own disciples, taking the posture of a slave, and he said, you're only starting to get what I am doing for you. If you know that Jesus has made himself a slave unto you in love, 
Does it not give you life and power to love one another as He so loved us? To spend our freedom on those around us. To love as free people. To love like Jesus. I know He already has begun this in you if you have embraced Jesus Himself. And I know He can if you have not yet, but you're interested in doing so. Jesus sets you free. He liberates you. Dear friends, He liberates you for love. Let's pray. We're looking to You, our Savior, to do what only You can do. We confess again that our hearts are wickedly self-centered, addictively selfish. And so we need nothing less than the power of the Spirit of Jesus to come and to break through, to set us free, and to give us power to love, a love that looks like making ourselves radical servants of one another, even slaves, to use that language. Show us how to do this. Apply it to our lives, Lord Jesus. And give us help. All for your glory, the servant of all, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. we got to sing this into our heart, don't we? Let's stand together and let's sing about the deep, infinite love of Jesus for us.